away from the empire of lies, an oasis of free speech and open debate in the vast, barren, dangerous wasteland that is the Biden administration. I'm Lee Stranahan, and our guest co-host on Carmine Monday is Carmine Sabia today on The Backstory. Do we have Carmine on? We do. Hey, Carmine, how are you doing? I'm good, my friend. How are you today? I'm okay. We got some breaking news. You saw the the Proud Boys are Chargers edition? Uh, no. That just broke right before the show, about two minutes before the show. New York Times, the Proud Boys have been charged with sedition in Washington, D.C. Enrique Terrio, who we've had on the show before, as well as four or five other people, have been charged with sedition. And we'll talk about that. we got a great show today. The legendary Scott Ritter is joining us to talk about Ukraine and Russia in the first hour. Then second hour, author Ted Rawl. And Carmine, what's the name of the show? This is The Backstory. See, when you do it that well, there should be an extra boom. You know what I mean? He should put some reverb on hey. or something. So, so... The uh, so Proud Boys Car- cars with sedition, Antifa still roams free. Yes. So what do you think of this, Carmine? I know you're just hearing it, but what's your opinion? Uh, this whole thing is a political witch hunt has been from the beginning and, and it is now, and I'll tell you something, Lee, and it goes into what the, the hearings this week on Thursday in prime time, you're going to have government hearings on prime time television. And you want to tell me this isn't about politics. This was always about politics. It's about politics. And I'm going to say, I think it's dangerous. I think, and anybody who's thinking, well, the Proud Boys, they're kind of fringy or whatever, right? First, it's it's the Proud Boys, next, it's you. Correct. You you have officially crossed the line into policing free speech. Yes, because the Proud Boys did not commit sedition or attempted sedition or anything like that. But remember how the Proud Boys came to fame. They were going against violent Antifa, the violent Antifa mob was showing up and attacking people. And the Proud Boys were the ones who said, enough, we'll defend people being attacked. Right, Carmine? Do you remember that? Correct. Absolutely. And I think this is an an assault. The warning message for everybody is don't try to defend yourself. Don't protest or you'll be charged with sedition. And I got to point out the one other thing, because we've had Enrique, by the way, Enrique's been in prison about two months now, I think. And when they arrested Enrique, Enrique wasn't there January 6th. Enrique was not let into Washington, D.C. And I used to live in Arlington, and they shut down the highway, the 14th Street Bridge, in other words, remember when they went after Roger Stone? Yeah. Remember, they didn't say to him, normally on stuff like this, uh, essentially process crimes, they they call his lawyer and they say, have Roger turn himself in at 9 o'clock Monday. Correct. Right? Correct. 
But that's not what they did. Not to say that I know it, but they did. That's how it's done with the mafia. Right. Usually, I'm trying to make a statement. Like when they arrested Gotti, that was a statement arrest. Usually, it's turn yourself in on this date. Right. And not only that, it was a statement arrest that this that CNN showed up at Rogers' door before the raid happened. And then the raid, they came in with long guns. Roger yep. Stone was not a threat to anybody, period. They were behind his house. He's got canals behind his house in Florida with boats, making sure Roger didn't hop out of the back. The reason, the reason they arrested Enrique on charge of having a shell, he didn't even have ammo. He had an empty shell. But the reason they shut down the freeway is they wanted to make an example of them. Do you agree, Carmine? Yes. So that's the breaking yes. news. And I think it's a very dangerous place we find ourselves in. Just let, me, let me ask you a question. Have they charged all of the Proud Boys, like against everybody? They charged four, five people. I The only name I recognized was Enrique. But I want to see if, if Gavin McGinnis. I don't know the Proud Boys. And uh, so... I don't know who these other guys are, but they didn't charge all of them. They charged specific people with committing sedition. And I hope, a, do you think they're going to allow a, a GoFundMe for the Proud Boys? Never. Never. That's my fear, too, is they're going to make it hard to people who want to contribute to the defense. They're going to make it very hard. But... Now, what are you expecting from these primetime hearings you're talking about, Carmine? I'm expecting an absolute circus. An yeah. absolute circus. I'm expecting them to make this, you know, it's going to be a whole thing, bro. It's going to be a whole thing. You know, it, it's, it's. Oh, I get so angry. But they're, they're well, going I to make this. Yeah, they're gonna they're going to make this a dog and pony show in the in the beginning of the to start off the 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 midterms. That's the word I can't find. Midterm season. That's this is all about. Yes. And again, I think we have enough democracy, barely enough, but I think they might not get away with it. I still think they're going to be trounced in November, but moves like this, and I hope they have a vigorous and aggressive legal defense team who's suing, who sues the government. This is an outrage, and it's very dangerous. But, and there, as I say, there was no sedition. There was no attempted sedition. But for them to file this charge, like, like they just figured this out, Carmine. They're, 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 how long have they since January 6th, right? So they've been doing this for a, a year and a half. Am I right? Yep. It's been since January last year, right? Yes, sir. I'm just furious right now. Yeah. Now, yeah, no, go ahead. Talk about that a little bit. I'm just curious on this whole thing right now, but they're going to put these hearings, Ivanka Trump, 
prime time testifying on on Thursday. And the, and the entire point of this is to help the Democrat Party. I'm sorry, but when you have record inflation, record gas prices, the country economically falling apart, you're going to hang your hat on a couple things. Lee, and I'm going to get into this a little bit. You're going to hang your hat on the abortion issue as soon as that comes down for sure. You're going to and if and by the way, if a Supreme Court justice changes their mind, then then the campaign's gonna be, yeah, but we can't take this chance anymore. They're still going to use it. Okay. Now, yes, that's one thing. The other thing you're gonna hang your hat on is mass shootings, which the media is helping them with because now apparently every gang shooting is gonna be actually reported as a mass shooting. When it didn't work for the Democrats, of course, we ignored all these gang shootings, but now it works for them. So we're going to report it. And they're going to hang their hats on January 6th. And I'm still here to tell you, Lee, that with those three topics, people are going to look in their pockets and go, yeah, that's nice, but I need money. Yes. And the, this this is going to backfire on them. There were two mass shootings this weekend. Did you, you see that? Philadelphia on South Street. My foot. Right? Not mass and Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, but they weren't reporting well, these before. They were happening all the time. Report Chicago. And what, what it's going to backfire them because people are going to look at that and they go, that's crime. These are thugs. Right? That's what they're going to say. Okay. In these Democrat cities, yeah. Because in any of the conservative news outlets, an easy thing for them to do is to publish pictures and video. Here's this weekend's mass shooting. And it's going to. Do you think people generally, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not even going to ask because it's obvious. People know that there's a crime problem. People know there's a growing crime problem where people are walking into drugstores and openly shoplifting, right? A crime no, is I don't think control. the average person knows that. Who doesn't know that? You think your average CNN viewer knows that? You think your average well, MSNBC think- viewer knows that? I think they do I don't. because they get reported, not from CNN's reporting, but the, they get locally reported. And liberals know it because a lot of the places where the crime is out of control are liberal bastions. Liberals are in South, Southern California, San Francisco, where the everyone I know in California makes no difference about their politics. They know crime is off the hook. Do you think people in Chicago know it's cr- criminals out of yes. control there? Yes. And, and so that's what I'm Please. saying. They didn't hear no, it from explain. CNN. Go ahead and car going. Explain something to me, though. How do these people keep voting for the liberals? Explain to me how they keep voting for Democrats. Please. Well, uh, that's a lot of well-funded propaganda and advertising that makes – it seemed like if you're liberal, you're on the right side of things merely by being liberal. Your proof that you're not racist is that you voted Democrat. Yeah. And there's so much, and there's so much uh, propaganda about it that they've got so many people brainwashed. But I'm saying that it's fewer and fewer people. You're seeing more people like Elon Musk who are like, I used to be a Democrat, but I can't be anymore. And did you see, well, get to anger in one second, 202 Did you see, speaking of nuts, 
not on the nature of crime. What happened in Dallas this weekend, Carmine? That is a crime. Somebody should have been arrested. There should have been a raid. Their liquor license should be removed. How is how? If I brought if I brought kids to a straight strip club with alcohol, that club would be raided yeah, tomorrow, Lee. Well, explain, explain, Carmen, because uh, you know what happened, obviously. Explain what happened. Set it up. There was a club, some kind of bar in Dallas, Texas, where they had a strip drag queen show with grown men stripping and little kids going there and putting dollar bills in these men's G-strings and, and dancing with them and all this. That's grooming, my friends. That's grooming. But did you see the pronouns on these people? No. The pronouns were female because they were they were dressed as ladies and they were looking curvaceous like ladies and wearing skimpy outfits. And also the oh, NFL, oh. you saw the NFL has a transgender cheerleader. Oh, Lord. Are you thrilled about that? Yeah, sure. That's what men want to see on Sundays. Well, maybe some, but I think they don't. I tell you, the look, NFL. Yeah, go ahead, Carmen. I really, I really enjoy beer commercials so much more now than I have any sexy girls in them. I'll tell you. I mean, they're really hitting that target audience. Yeah. Now let's go to Ingrid. Two hundred two five two one thirteen twenty. Ingrid, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Well, three big topics. I hope I can remember them all. First. Uh, there's now kind of a hit list for journalists and other people who are not favorable to Ukraine. And Eva Bartlett is on this list. Um, she did a segment. No, wait. Are you talking about the actual hit list of people they want to murder in Ukraine? Well, I'm saying that someone who was doxxed on this list was assassinated. It's um, called uh, Miro Dvaryets, which translates as peacemaker. And this is a list compi compiled by, by them. They have offices in Langley and Warsaw. And uh, she has a page now. And she says it's, she feels because she testified at a tribunal in Donetsk in April. Hey, Rod, let's say we can get Eva on in the next few days. So Eva's a hero or heroine, if I'm being gender nonspecific. But Eva's, Eva's a hero of mine, and I'm proud to know her, and I'll let her get her on to talk about this, because that's wrong. And it is a hit list. You know, that term gets – I want to be clear, because it's usually a metaphor when you talk about a hit list. But with Ukraine, yeah. they mean it. And it's outrageous that he was on it. But it's not surprising because she is a brave journalist. What do you think about that, Carmine? Are you in favor of hit lists for journalists? Let me, let me understand. It. There's a list of journalists that are not friendly to Ukraine and their addresses and stuff like that is on there? Yes, and one of the journalists on there was, assass was assassinated. At the very least, it's an attempt to intimidate. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Where are the journalists? I know I keep pointing this out about the media, Lee, but where are our American journalists to call this out and say, this is wrong? 
They talk every year. They have their little award show talking about freedom of the press around the world and all this stuff. Freedom what? To say what you want? To say what yeah, you tell no, them to and, say? And I'll talk more about the issue of the press malfeasance. But go ahead, Ingrid, you had two other points. Yeah, my second one, I'm, I'm calling Scotty's List. It's actually my list, but I was inspired by Scotty Nell Hughes to make it. And it's of um, academics who I consider just atrocious. The latest one, his name is Andrew Kaufman. He's a professor of literature at UVA. And he's a big expert on Tolstoy. He teaches literature. And the, the, the dangerous thing about him is he has been to Russia many times. He knows Russian. He's He's got a lot of depth in his field of literature, but he came on C-SPAN and talking about War and Peace, the Tolstoy novel, and he compared, he said, Putin is the equivalent of Napoleon. And the whole slant, and I, I must say, I am a, a big fan of C-SPAN because you, you hear a lot of events left and right of people speaking unedited in their own words. And um, but the 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 interviewer, Brian Lamb, who's very um, high person at C-SPAN, was really uh, encouraging and going along with this anti anti Putin garbage. So anyway, my newest addition to Scotty's list is this Andrew Kaufman guy. And then my third my third point is about Gonzalo Lira. He did. Uh, a short segment today on, he calls it epistemological, oh God, what's the word? It comes from vice, something like that. Anyway, you know, this is very original and he's, uh, he's, he taught, he talked about mixed martial arts, an article that some philosopher had done on mixed martial arts and describing how Mixed martial arts kind of became the depth, the death of all these other little niche martial arts like karate and, and Aikido and everything. Because when these people went up against an actual mixed martial arts person, they just got clobbered. But it's just a very good uh, little video that he did on how people get into their own little world of, of defining things and looking at things. And it does, the theory does not stand the test of reality. And I would just recommend you look at that. You might have some thoughts on it. So I'll go over my thoughts briefly on that. And thanks for the call. Good call, Ingrid. Uh, I saw that Gonzalo Lear did that. And then he's brought up three times. I'm not buying exactly what i think gonzalo's what? done what i'm not buying i don't think you need this other term in philosophy to define the fact that people get into their own a peer group and that they don't they stop listening to evidence outside their peer group that's what the whole test of time though has proven that right I, I no, I think that's I think that's true. What I'm saying is now it doesn't need to be called something else. It's just no, that, that happens. You it's see called what I'm tribalism. Saying? It's called tribalism. Right. That's as, 
and this this argument, he was making a different argument that it's called something else. And that's the part I'm not buying. And also, I'm not buying the way he's he's acting as though that's the answer to everything. And it's not the answer to everything. Sometimes tribalism plays a fact, but sometimes, for instance, if people like Coca-Cola, is it tribalism or billions spent on advertising? You see what I'm saying? Good question. I'm a big fan of Coca-Cola. Right. And they've spent billions on advertising. And Correct. Right. And I, why, what Gonzalo's doing there is trying to find one answer. This, is, this explains everything. And I don't think that's the case. I think real life is more complex. So I think he's got a broadly good point that he's making, he's describing it to a certain philosophy. But I need to go to uh, Tarif, 202-521-1320, in one second. And by the way, Carmine, feel free to vent. Uh, when you go off, I get good reviews from the girlfriend. She likes Carmine Mondays. So... I think okay. people like it when you go off, Carmine. I'm not going to stop you, certainly. Uh, so, hi, girlfriend. Permission, Thank you. Permission event. Sharif, awesome, 202-521-1320. What's on your mind? Thank you, Lee, for taking my call. I have three comments. First, I get before I get to them, first, I'd like to say free joining science. The first comment is this. I was listening to Putin and also reading articles about saying that they have a food shortage. Is not a food shortage. What it is by the U.S. and NATO station in Russia, they drove up the price of wheat and grains on the stock market, was making it more um, um, uh, expensive to buy wheat and grains, such as for Africa, Central and South America, and um, India, Pakistan, and the rest of the world. So if sanctions is released, I mean, it cut off, then the price will go back down. And also, Russia is not blocking wheat or grain from Ukraine. They're not blocking that. That's that's basically a NATO psyop trying to say Putin is Putin's fault for the price of um, food to go on up. No, it's not. It's the Western fault. My second comment is this. Like I told you about an October surprise like the deep state DNC is planning for something. Um, I was reading some over the weekend. It seems like polling is preparing to go into Western Ukraine will be a mistake on their port and also the U.S. port for pushing Poland. If Poland is going to Western Ukraine and can come in contact with Russian troops, you know, walking in Spain. And I'm thinking that that might be the October surprise coming up in these next months that Poland might actually go in Ukraine because they're afraid that Ukraine might collapse. If Ukraine collapsed, that would be millions and millions of people going into Poland and Poland can't afford that. So this is what people have to do. It's like you have people have to release documentation on like the big fish that's in the um, Biden administration and throughout the Pentagon and CIA to try to expose these people like the chicken hawks, the war hawks. They have to start going after the little fish first. Those that's chicken hawks that's in the Biden, Biden administration starts printing out information on these people that, that can expose them for, for corruption and things of that nature. And do it for Julian Science, do it for other whistleblowers, do it for me, do it for 
you know, humanity itself because these people start to lose control and then they becoming very, very desperate, just like your headline to say, Biden came and buy a win right now. So we're going to see over the past the next five months before November 11th election what type of chaos going to ensue. Hopefully we can stop that. We need some information to start getting leaked out um, out here to, so we can stop World War Three. Thank you all for taking my call. Thanks, Trey. Great call as usual. Now, I want to mention something else. I'm going to see, we might get into this more <laughs> after the break when we cut this off the hour. But there's a woman named, I'm not going to pronounce her right, but Linda Myla Densnova. She was okay. in Ukraine, a high official. She was a civil rights ombudsman. She was one of the top civil rights spokesmen for the government of Ukraine. And about four days ago, five days ago, she was fired. Yeah, yeah. And she was fired by the Ukrainian government because she lied about Russian rapes. She said Russians had raped people in Busha and also children. She made these accusations of rape and she lied about them. She offered no proof. And multiple news sources, Daily Beast, Newsweek, CNN, they repeated these as though they were true. And now yes. she's been fired by Ukraine. They admitted she lied. Now, here's my question for you, Carmine. Shouldn't Newsweek, CNN, anybody who reported yep. what she said, shouldn't yes. they correct their stories? Absolutely, they should. Absolutely, they you, should. But they won't. And, and if you check, you notice they haven't. And some of them have well, even news. Yeah, go ahead, Carmine. Now they're talking about, well, Ukraine might have to give, you know, some territory here to Russia. And in order to find a peaceful solution, said, well, that's all Russia wanted to begin with was the Russian speaking territories where their people were being tortured and killed. So that they could protect those territories. Okay, now, now those territories want to be part of Russia. Russia's not really. So Putin at the very beginning says, "Listen, here's what I want. Nobody has to get killed. Instead, we send sixty billion dollars, tons of weapons, cause the deaths of tens of thousands of people, only to get to exactly what Putin said he wanted to begin with." And they're going to blame Putin for the deaths. Now, we have the ideal guest after this break. Scott Ritter will talk about this new story. And, and Carmine's correct. Now Ukraine is saying we may have to give up territory. Right? Ukraine's saying yes. it. So yes. it's been rumored for a couple, couple of days. It's now Ukraine is out on the record about that. We'll be talking about the possible end game for this. After this break, with Scott Ritter, legendary UN weapons inspector, former U.S. Marine, all-around military expert, Scott Ritter, coming up right after this break on, what's the name of the show? I, I forget, Scott. This I, I'm is The Backstory.
we're back on the backstory. 105.5 FM AM 1390 is where you can find us on radio dial around Washington, D.C. Joining us right now, legendary UN weapons inspector, former Marine, all-around smart guy, Scott Ritter. Hey, Scott, how you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Great, great introduction. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I like you, Scott, and uh, we're always p- pleased to have you on the show. And this is an important day, I'd say, because for the first time, I've seen Zelensky and Ukraine admit something that's been rumored for a couple of days. And it started really with Henry Kissinger about a week ago. Henry Kissinger, the famous, extremely old foreign policy legend, said Ukraine may have to give up territory. And now Zelensky and Ukraine are saying we may have to give up territory and negotiate an end to this with Russia. So first off, what's your general take on that? And then we'll drill down some points and I'll ask you eventually what you think Russia will agree to and won't agree to. But Scott, what do you think is the latest development? I mean, it's it's a, it's a logical development uh, based upon you know reality. Um, you know, today we we had Arestovich, uh, the gentleman who is uh, Zelensky's deputy, um, admit for the first time. You know, because we've been getting the Western media. You know, Ukraine is counterattacking here, counterattacking there. Drove Russians or drove Russians back there, and Arestovich finally admitted that the. Um, the cauldron is is slamming shut on uh, you know tens of thousands of uh, Ukrainian soldiers. It'll be worse than Mariupol, and there's nothing Ukraine can do. It'll be a devastating defeat, and um, that's just the reality. Of what's happening on the ground? And the longer Ukraine fights, uh, the more devastating this uh, this defeat will be. And I think there's a recognition now that you know this this is sort of a culminating point and. It only gets worse from here. Uh, there's not a, there's not any amount of weaponry that can be brought in that can reverse this tide. Uh, and the longer the Ukrainians resist, they recognize uh, the inevitability of resistance and the the fact that Russia will just take more territory. And so, uh, you know, it's a matter of trying to cut their losses. Um, and, and and you know, but there, there's we're we're at the early stages here. One, Russia's just in no mood to. Uh, to to eat anything to the Ukrainians. So at the moment when Russia has sacrificed so much to achieve this result, the last thing I believe Russia is going to do is say, yeah, sure, we're going to stop fighting right now and and you can cut your losses. I I think Russia is going for, uh, you know, everything. And they've said this from the start. We are going to get everything. So it's not just giving up territory. Zelensky's going to have to give up his constitution. Zelensky's going to have to, because the constitution says that Crimea is, uh, is there's the Constitution makes Stepan Bandera a national hero. Uh, the Constitution uh, allows these uh, neo-Nazi political parties to exist. Um, so there's a lot of internal domestic um, concessions that Ukraine's going to have to make beyond simply giving up territory that they're not there yet. There's still some hardcore uh, people in Ukraine who will oppose any effort to, uh, to trade territory for peace. Um, They've been propped up by the belief that the West will provide them these magic weapons that will uh, turn their fate around on the battlefield. So um, it's it's a it's an important first step. It's 
I have a question for you. And this is my take. Do you believe that Zelensky, that the Biden administration, that England, that all these people in the West, don't you believe that they knew from the very, very beginning that they were lying when they said Ukraine had a chance? Don't you think they knew this was the inevitable end? I don't know if Zelensky believed that. I, I, I have 100% certainty that the United States and Great Britain knew that this was a futile exercise. How do we know this? Because the United States has said this. Uh, Lloyd Austin, our esteemed Secretary of Defense, uh, said that our goal isn't to help Ukraine win a victory. Our goal is to kill as many Russians as possible, to weaken Russia. Um, and that's all this has been and about. Died. Yeah, Carmen, what does that say that again? I said that whoever, however many Ukrainians died, they were just collateral damage, and it's disgusting. We all knew Ukraine couldn't beat Russia. We all knew it. We were saying it here on this show from day one, and Putin was very, he said, look, I don't want to kill anybody. You know, here's what we want. No, we, we propped up the kid on the playground and said, you could beat that big guy. And we gave him all the encouragement he needed, and then we laughed as he got his butt kicked. Do you agree with that, Chair Renner? I, look, I, I, I believe that the United States is responsible for the murders of tens of thousands of Ukrainians. And I, I don't call what, what is happening there uh, casualties of war. It's murder. And not murder by Russia. It's murder by the United States and Great Britain. Uh, we set them up for failure. Uh, we breathe false hope and confidence in a conflict that they could never win. Uh, we knew they could never win it. Hell, at the very beginning, we said we knew this. Um, and yet we've encouraged them to, to drag this thing out uh, for the sole purpose of killing Russians. And I, I hope that disgusts Americans as much as it should. I just remind Americans that um, you know, our government targeted a guy named Qasim Soleimani, an Iranian general, uh, who in the, in the 2000s provided uh, you know, support to uh, Iraqi insurgents to resist American occupiers. Five to 600 Americans were killed, and we've been crying ever since, calling him a murderer. We assassinated him. Well, what the hell do you think the Russians think about us right now? I'm sorry to swear on your ear, but I just got angry. I mean, we're talking uh, about- How's it going? You can do that. The FCC allows it. But go ahead, Scott. I mean, what, 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 what do you think the Russians think of us? To sit there and watch us put weaponry into Ukraine, knowing that it won't turn the tide of battle, but knowing that the Ukrainians will kill hundreds, if not thousands of Russians with this weaponry, making the inevitable victory of Russia more costly and longer. And it's not just Russians that are dying, because Ukrainians are dying in larger numbers. Not just Ukrainian soldiers, but Ukrainian civilians. So, no, this is murder. And I, I, I would hope someday the American people would wake up and realize what hypocrites we are and, um, and, 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 and absolutely how morally defective our leadership is. And to be honest, to any, all you Americans listening out there, you're morally defective, too, because we elected these guys. I know people say, I didn't vote for them. I didn't vote for them. The country voted for them. The country has empowered them. And the country is sitting by and doing nothing while he's out there slaughtering Ukrainians just so he can play tough guy. This is Joe Biden, the fake tough guy, uh, making other people pay the price for his big mouth. Now, Scott, you're, you're an expert in weapons, of course. And I want to drill down something you said. You said no amount of missiles 
that we say in Ukraine is going to turn us around. But we know now how many missiles are sending. And this first thing that they're doing, the U.S. is sending four of these missile systems, Germany sending four, and England sending four. So sending, what are they called? The What kind of missile systems are they? HIMARS, the, 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 the highly mobile artillery rocket system. Right. Well, they, no, thank I you. take a lot of umbrage with what you just said, Scott. I take what? a lot of umbrage with what you just said about the Americans and the American people because the American people have made sacrifices here, Scott. They have made sacrifices. Do you know how many people put a Ukrainian flag in their Twitter bios? I mean, they have sacrificed, my friend. Okay. I, 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 I apologize. You're, you're right. The American people have sacrificed. Just like every American who puts a yellow ribbon on their car uh, because they give a darn about, uh, about the wounded veterans. They sacrifice, too. Now, they forgot, it, they forgot about it this month because they put a rainbow flag in their profiles. But before that, they had the Ukrainian flag. And that's important because that means uh, things. It's more of our true. But, Scott... Do you think that the my take is the 12 of these missile systems is is insulting. It's a joke, right? It's nowhere near anything that could possibly make a difference. Right. No, no, the, 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 all these all the HIMARS will do is. Kill Russians if they make it to the front line. These are very lethal weapons. All right. Each HIMARS as a pod of six rockets. When they fire these rockets, they're very accurate. And each time they salvo them off, they'll probably kill uh, a dozen or so Russians, wound twice that many. Yeehaw. Um, and then they reload the pod if they're not destroyed immediately by counterfire. Fire it again. And by the time it's all said and done, but before the four HIMARS are destroyed, along with the three Ukrainian crewmen that's sweet. So that's 12 Ukrainians dead. Uh, they'll have killed maybe 150, 200 Russians. That's it. Now, that's not insignificant to the mothers, wives, sisters of those Russians who are dying. Um, and it's also just ridiculous to think that this is going to have any impact on the overall operation. There'll be, you know, some short-lived tactical gains when they punch a small hole in the Russian line. But as soon as the Ukrainians try to exploit that, the rest of the Russians will come in and kill them, as they always do. And uh, this is just an exercise in murderous futility. Murderous futility. Now, Scott, as a student of military strategy, is there something, because you know that area, and I, I don't really, but I'm hoping to learn from you. The way that Russia is using artillery, is there something, I won't say uniquely, but distinctively Russian about their military strategy with the artillery? Is there something, is this something Russia's done before? Have you seen this before? Yeah, the, the, well, we haven't seen it on this scale before, but, you know, Russia, you know, the, this is the king of the battle. This king of battle is the, is the artillery. Um, and the Russians in World War II uh, found that the way you punch through German, uh, German prepared positions is to pound them into nothing. Um, and then and then you hit them with massed formations of tanks and infantry. What the Russians have done since then is recognize that because of the lethality of modern weaponry, if you come in with massed armored and infantry, 
uh, you lose a lot of guys. And, you know, this isn't World War II where the Russians had 12 million men under arms. Uh, you know, this is a special military operation with a couple hundred thousand guys. So the Russians can't afford to sacrifice, uh, you know, men and materiel. But what the Russians have is massed artillery fires. You know, when a Russian brigade goes into combat right now, um, they're, they're, they're having anywhere between 200, 300 artillery pieces in support of them. An American heavy armored brigade has 18 artillery pieces supporting them. Uh, just put two and two together. Uh, I'm a Marine. My math's not good, that good. But I think 400 beats 18 every single time. Now, Scott, uh, if this goes to negotiations, here's what I think will probably happen. This is a pure guess. Obviously, Putin does check with me. But I think, obviously, in terms of the land, let's talk about that first. Russia will say, you need to recognize Crimea, and they'll take the Donbass, they'll take the east of Ukraine, and the south, including Odessa. Now, Odessa is going to be a hard pill for them to swallow, because Russia has not won that militarily yet. But I think Russia will ask for and receive all the land next to the Black Sea and the East, and they'll let Ukraine keep, with conditions, Kiev and Lviv, the western part. What do you think? Is that seem reasonable to you? Not reasonable, but like plausible that Russia will ask for that? It's, it's, it's an extra heavy ask, I think. Oh, no, it's not an extra heavy ask. First of all, Russia's not going to ask for anything. Russia's going to demand. Russia's going to dictate. This is not going to be a negotiation. It's called unconditional surrender. Um, the Ukrainians don't bring anything to the table. They've lost. So, you know, their choice is to either, you know, put terms on the table that are acceptable to Russia or continue dying. Russia's not playing games here. They're not going to stop uh, halfway. There's no, no half measures. Russia's suffered too much. Um, and you're 100% correct on Odessa. First of all, there's, there's two reasons why Odessa must become Russia. Three. Uh, one is that the majority Russian uh, speakers there. Two, in May of 2014, the Azov Nazis stuffed 150 Russian speakers into a building, set it on fire, and killed nearly 50 of them. Uh, Russia has never forgotten and never forgiven. And C, uh, the Ukrainians were dumb enough to launch missiles from the vicinity of Odessa that sank the flagship of the Russian Black Sea, sea Fleet. Uh, the Moscow cruiser. Um, uh, and, and therefore, they've proven that as long as a Ukrainian uh, military presence exists in the vicinity of Odessa, the Russian Black Sea fleet uh, is at risk. So the Russians will never again allow their fleet to be at risk. They're going to take Odessa, and Ukraine has no choice. They can either give it up as part of an unconditional surrender uh, now, or the Russians will pound it and take it away from them, killing tens of thousands more Ukrainians. And then when the Ukrainians say, okay, we're ready to uh, negotiate, you know, not only are the Russians going to take Odessa, but the, I'm, they'll take additional. This, this is going to be painful for Ukraine no matter what, but it needs to be painful. It needs to be painful for two reasons. One, it needs to be said that when Russia says something reasonable up front, you best, you know, abide by it. Russia had reasonable conditions up front to stop this. Um, Ukraine refused to do it, and NATO refused to also give in and back up. Russia win this battle. I've been saying this, Scott, I've been saying this for months. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I've been saying this for months. Russia's demands from day one before the war ever starts 
were reasonable. This never had to happen. Correct, but now that it has happened, Russia, Russia needs to make the pain so great and the penalty so great that nobody ever again attempts to, to, to bully Russia, to intimidate Russia, etc. Russia doesn't want to seek a fight. But what Russia's put, you know, the point Russia's made here is that if you want to fight, you're going to lose. We're going to win, and we're going to win big. And obviously, they're going to go back to one of the initial demands, which is Ukraine cannot enter NATO. But I think at this point, just as soon as she realized at this point that Ukraine becoming part of NATO is a pipe dream, he might as well snore a little more coke. And it's a fantasy, right? Scott, do you agree? There's no way Ukraine's joining NATO. There's no way. NATO will never let Ukraine in, and, and, and he'll never join Ukraine. But I, you know, here's the thing about Zelensky, and this is, again, I think he, he's getting a wake-up call because his generals um, in the east have been uh, uh, sending artillery fire against Donetsk, uh, you know, the, 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 the city in the, in the newly independent republic. And they're also launching uh, artillery attacks against Russian villages. And uh, Russia has come out and said, basically, if you continue this and you receive these missiles, uh, the HIMARS and the British system, we're going to start bombing decision-making centers that we have to date not bombed. That means that Zelensky will become a target, that parliament will become a target, Russia is going to decapitate. And I think Zelensky is realizing that his days on earth are numbered if he continues to fight. The Russians have made it clear that if you continue to fight, you accept these new weapons, we're going to kill you. And what, what do you make of the fact we were talking about before you came on? The fact that the civil rights ombudsman for Ukraine, she was fired last week after admitting she'd lied multiple times about claiming Russians had raped children, young girls, and there were lies. What do you make of the fact that the Ukrainian parliament fired her? Do you realize, do you think they're starting to realize in Ukraine that their information warfare strategy of blatantly lying only can work for so long? Yeah, you know, I, I, I believe so. I mean, you know, the Ukrainians have put a couple of Russian soldiers on trial for, frankly speaking, were things that were not war crimes. Um, and that's all the Ukrainians have. You know, they've accused Russia of murder, rape, pillage, etc., and they've got no evidence. Uh, but what Russia's getting ready, Russia just opened up a military tribunal inside the Donetsk Republic called the Mariupol Military Tri- Tribunal. And they're beginning to put um, people on trial. The first people will be mercenaries. But pretty soon they're going to start parading all the Azov Nazis uh, that they captured. And this is going to be a huge, huge uh, political problem for Ukraine. And I think what they're trying to do is clean up their act um, and, and get as close to fact-based truth before, before this starts. Because, you know, it, it's not going to look for, good for Ukraine. And at, at, at the same time, all of the Ukrainian accusations are being shown to be demonstrably false. That will also look poorly for them. So she had to go. Now, here's a question, Scott, that's tailored directly for you, is the unique experience that you have. What do you think Russia should learn from the way 
the United States engage with Iraq, the, the they, they can look at that and realize the U.S. has a certain way of dealing with countries we're at war with. What what should Ukraine learn from the experience of Iraq, Scott? Well, it's a, it's it's the lesson that every nation should learn from from these experiences. That the United States is literally the worst friend in the world, the worst friend. We stand for nothing. We we uh, set you up for failure. We never back you up. We always let you die. We always walk away when the going gets tough. Um, you know that's just the that's just the reality of it. So you know, I I think every nation in the world that's that's looking at this right now, this is this is a quandary the U.S. finds itself in right now because uh, NATO's looking at this <laughs> and. Uh, Wondering, you know, what is the depth of commitment to the United States to Article Five? Uh, you know, you know that, 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 that you know the attack against one is an attack against all. Biden calls it a sacred obligation, but uh, is it really? Is the United States really going to go to war on your behalf? Does the United States have what it takes? Is the U.S. military even capable of accomplishing that mission? Um, these are all legitimate questions that come out of this, and uh, you know. We, we talked, I think, in the you know back in August about what an utter humiliation to the United States and the reputation of the United States Afghanistan was. Um, Ukraine is even more so. And and Scott, is this a lesson that goes back to Vietnam and also has played out in Libya, in Iraq, uh, in in South America, the way the U.S. treats other nations. Is it the same lesson over and over again that you're talking about, Scott? Absolutely. The United States, again, does, we literally don't view anybody as our friend. We will betray anybody, any nation, uh, from Great Britain on down. We will sell you out if it's to our benefit. Uh, that's the lesson to be learned here, that the United States cannot be counted on uh, for anything, that we only look out for ourselves. And, um, you know, I've always been in favor of, you know, an America first policy. I mean, you know, you're, we're Americans. We should take care of Americans first. I have no problem with that. But I'm also a, a huge proponent of, you know, my word is my bond. Uh, there's a reason why George Washington, are, you know, told us don't get involved in entangling alliances because there are consequences to it. But if you are going to get involved in entangling alliances, then you must adhere to the commitments you made. Or else you're nobody. You're 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 dirt. You're lower than dirt. And thanks to the actions of consecutive administrations, Republican and Democratic alike, the United States word is garbage. It means nothing. Heck, we we had. Did you see Michael McFaul at the uh, the former U.S. ambassador to Russia uh, at a at a, uh, a, a sort of a town hall type meeting? Um, laugh when someone said, so you were lying to the Russians all along. He said, yes, yes, that's what we do. It's the real world. So a senior American diplomat is admitting that we lie all the time. And that's par for the course. That's disgusting. That's humiliating. That's embarrassing. And Carmine Savia, the, uh, the guest host, co-host today and Carmine Monday, do you have any last questions in the last couple months? Please, guys, Scott Ritter. Carmine. I was just going to say, I forget how we uh, how we stood up for the Kurds in Iraq and didn't let Saddam slaughter them when we left. That that always stuck out in my mind. Yeah, wh what do you think the lesson was? The Kurds were our allies, right? Yeah, we let them die. We told them we that. We let them die. We're still letting them 
right right now. Our allies in Syria, and we're, we're, you know, the Turks are getting ready to launch a a punitive, um, you know, military action, uh, and and more Kurds will die, and we're going to do nothing to stop it. Correct. No. Yeah, go ahead, Carmine. Any anything else? No, we just we don't we don't care, Lee. We don't care. We don't care. We do this all the time. Well, we do care about one thing, and I think we proved that in Syria. I disagree. We do have one thing we care about. It's oil. If you've got stuff, oh, yeah. we care a lot about that, right? Yeah, true. That's true. We will take your stuff. Well, remember, the only reason why we're interested is because we don't believe it belongs to them, but rather that it belongs to us. Now, the world. what do you think the odds are that some sort of deal will happen? How serious... Is Ukraine now? I, I, would you agree that Russia's basically is essentially won? The writing's on the wall, correct? Yes. No. Russia has has is is winning phase two, and has made it clear that it will not stop until all of its objectives are um, are done. Now, I will say this: if Ukraine wanted to fight this to the bitter end, uh, this this is a war that can easily go on another six months. Uh, if Ukraine's willing to pay that price, you know, $40 billion, $60 billion buys a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, Russia will eventually destroy this stuff. But, you know, there, there's that process of destruction that implies combat, which implies you're in a boxing ring getting hit while you're punching. And um, But I'm seeing a lot of Ukrainian surrenders lately. And it seems to me that at the rate things are going, it's going to completely collapse around the beginning of July, around July 4th. The Ukraine, large. What, what's the impact of Ukrainian morale on, on what's going on in the last few seconds, Scott? I, I think Ukraine morale is a mixed bag right now. I think there's a lot of units that, that are poorly trained and they're surrendering. And there's other units that are highly trained and motivated and will continue to fight. Yeah. And do you think that's... Uh, Going on, I, th- I think it's about to fall down. But Scott, we're out of time. Fantastic appearance as usual. Thank you for being on the show, Scott Ritter. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great appearance. Great appearance by Scott and a lot of quotable stuff there. I'm here with Carmen Sabia. Actually, not. I'm nowhere near Carmen, but I'm vocally close to Carmen Sabia on a Carmen My Monday on the backstory. From the Empire of Lies, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. This is a backstory. And as the Carmine Monday, we're joined as guest co-host, Carmine Sabia. The great Carmine Sabia, straight out of Newark. How you doing, Carmine? Oh, I'm sorry I hit the mute button because my dog was barking. I said I'm, uh, no, I'm straight that- out of uh, New Jersey Compton, man, yeah. Yeah, and uh, great appearance by Scott Ritter, right? Dynamite stuff. Absolutely. Great stuff. Sad, though. Scott really, Scott really knows this stuff, too. Coming up this hour, 
author Ted Rawl, and we're taking your calls, Cho Chu 521-1320. Scott Ritter, we're going to have that segment up on SoundCloud later as a separate segment. It was so great. But Carmine, what's the name of the show? This is The Backstory. That's right. Now, Carmine, what's on your mind? I'll, I'll give you an open mic. What's on your mind? What stood out at you this weekend? Holy crap, that's dangerous. Okay, uh, where do we start? Uh, we're finally reporting on mass shootings now that it's beneficial to the Democrats. Uh, we didn't really care about it before, but now we do. Um, but I'll tell you, the thing that's really sticking out to me is, Lee, how bad the media in our country has gotten. I'm a big, like, I'm, I'm big into this, this, I'm a big proponent of the, the media accountability. And, you know, I've, you know, and by the way, Bayo only barks on the phone with you. I think he doesn't like you. I don't know. But I'll say this, man. Like I said, I said it before. And I'll say, I'll say it again. Having these, these hearings this week on prime time is abhorrent to me. Abhorrent. Because it is very obvious, unless you're an idiot, it is very obvious why. They're on prime time because they're political. This is all about the Democrats have nothing for the midterms and they need this. They desperately need to play this narrative, man. And, and what's to me, the biggest example, in your opinion, Carmine, of media malfeasance? What's the biggest area that the media should be reporting on, but they're not? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, the crimes of the Biden administration. Uh, tell the truth about Russia and Ukraine. Tell the truth to the people, because the American people, you know, they think, well, we hate the Ukrainians and we want to see Ukrainians die. And we're, you know, at least for me, I'm not, you know, a Russian puppet or whatever, what have you. Even though you're labeled as Russian state media, of course. Um, I take no paycheck from, from Russia at all. Uh, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, and Carmine, Carmine, no one will believe you, but... If if they want to not believe you though, but but let's make it clear, Russia plays no part in the planning for the show. You can tell when I talk to you, I'm planning a show. Russia plays no part in the content of the show. I have my Correct. opinion. I have and, come on here and said things that are anti-Russian. I have I have come on here and I have said here's what I think Putin's doing wrong. And here's why I think he's wrong about this or that. And nobody ever stops me. Nobody ever talks. In fact, I remember asking you, hey, Lee, look, I'm going to say a couple of things that, you know, Russia's not going to like. You're like, well, whatever. Do and I am, I am, I am pro Putin. And you know that. And I've yes. never BS anybody about it. And Carmine, do you get the impression I'm that I am pro Putin because I'm pro Putin or because someone's forcing me? No, you're absolutely. You're saying what you believe. Listen, I'm not anti-Putin. I'm not anti-Putin at all. I don't think he's a, a bad guy, but like every leader, I think that uh, there's room for critique. You know, things that I think he could have done better. I'm not in his position. I don't have his set of, you know, particular, you know, particulars that so he knows, you know, obviously more about what's happening than I do. But, you know, I think that every leader makes mistakes. I think he's made some. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do wish the war were over. I do very now, much Carmine, wish the war I'll, I'll give an example of what I think is media malfeasance. Do you know what the Bilderberg Group is? 
oh, yeah, 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 forget that. They're never going to borrow that. Half of them are members, bro. Right. So the Bilderberg Group is a group of some of the most powerful people in the world. Peter Thiel, the billionaire. Eric Schmidt from Google. I believe Klaus Schwab is there. It, they have th these meetings once a year. And this year, it's in Washington, D.C. Now, you'd think some of the most powerful people are having a meeting in Washington. Someone would cover it. CNN, Fox, ABC, Fox, someone, right? someone. Have you seen the complete lack of coverage? Anything. They don't even say, over here, behind me, are some of the powerful people in the world. They completely ignore existence. Correct. Think about Correct. that. They, I'm not. I'm to, not saying they, what they should say. They've had to admit some of it. They've had to admit it exists because of Alex Jones. Because when Alex Jones right. pretty much just discovered discovered them, that was the end of pretending they don't exist. But well, have you been to their website? Whose website? The Bilderberg has a website. Bilderberg has a website. In the modern oh, age, Bilderberg, if anyone denies their existence and enlists people like Eric Schmidt from Google, a famous Hillary supporter, and Peter Thiel, famous Trump supporter, are both on the steering committee of Bilderberg. That's interesting. That's right? very interesting. But does the mafia have a website now? I, 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 not a good one. It's in Comic Sans, the font. But I know what they're doing. Someone made them always say they can't refuse. But Bilderberg has a website. You can look it up. Look it up. You'll see it. You'll see it. So it exists. It now obviously I exists. I find that hilarious that they have a website. Yeah. No, no, I know. It's pretty funny. And it shows some people who are members, like on the steering committee. Like I mentioned, Teal, Trump supporter, and Schmidt, Hillary supporter. And that's the way they work. It's people who pretend now, to be. Question. Yeah, go ahead, Carmine. Is how come the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, is not a member? Uh, I've heard rumors he is involved in some way, but I've not confirmed that. I've seen no evidence. So maybe some, maybe someone can correct me on that. Owl Killer, for instance, would know about this. But do you think it's suspicious? that there's no media coverage of this group of the most powerful people in the world meeting in Washington. I can see why well, they wouldn't go to some. No, I don't. I don't think it's suspicious because, well, I mean, it depends on your definition of suspicious. I would never have expected them to, to report on it. I, I, I know they're, they're part of it. So why would they report on it? Yeah. Now we were talking to Scott about the possible end game to some of the Russia stuff. I don't think, and I, I said this, but I'm going to reiterate this. Russia, I think, will negotiate for this in the same way that they negotiated for the members of the Azov Battalion who were in the catacombs in Mariupol. In other words, they'll let the other side claim it's a negotiation. Russia didn't punish the West for lying. And saying that they're they they had uh, I forget the word they used. It's a beginning of the need. It's not escaped, but I forget the word they use. 
Rod, do you remember? We know they surrendered, but they said evacuated. That's what it was. They said they evacuated. So there's no doubt Ukraine is going to say this negotiation. But I think obviously Russia is going to set the terms. Right. Do you agree, Scott? I mean, uh, Rod, I mean, Carmine, I I, I know I'd get your name eventually. Sorry about that, Carmine. Do you agree Uh, that Russia is going to set the terms? Of course. What does Ukraine have to give them? But Ukraine can't get out of it. And again, they can say, well, we negotiated. And the U.S. is going to say Russia negotiated. It's not true, but Russia doesn't care. They see that someone, do you know what it's like? Have you, you've seen situations where your friends, they're in a couple and the couple breaks up as obvious to you that she dumped him and he says we broke up. It was mutual. Right. And you don't, you know, you're friends, so you don't correct him. I know something about this is Carmine and going through a divorce, but I think yes, th- it's going to be that kind of that kind of thing where Zelensky is trying to save face and the U.S. is trying to save face. And what the U.S. because the U.S. this is embarrassing for the country. Do you not agree that oh, gosh. in its own way, this is embarrassing as a retreat from Afghanistan? Carmine? Um, no, no, because the media is not even going to report this like that. That's why. In reality, to anybody who knows what happened, yes. But what the average person is going to know, no. The average person is not going to know what happened, bro. Yes. Now, now, what do you make of, we, we got into it a little bit, but what do you make of things like the drag queen kids daytime strip off that happened in Dallas? There were protesters down there. Let's talk about Let's talk about Vladimir Putin again. And this is why you have a lot of Americans that say, look, I don't agree with everything Vladimir Putin says and does, but there's a lot of things I agree with him on. This is part of the stuff that he does not want to see happen in his country. Right. This is part of the stuff that he says this is wrong because it is. It's demonstrably wrong and evil. It's evil. It's evil. You tell me you talk about the end times. Lee, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. You can't tell me this is not the work of the devil. And aside from that, let's I'll leave the algebra for a second. It's gross. Again, if I take my son to a strip club because they're having daytime strippers. You're going to jail. Yeah, but but also you even you, you Carmine, we're, we're friends, but you just be like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I have no good answer. What do you think they, they, the people who brought their kids there, what do you think they thought they're doing? Oh, they think they're doing something great. Look how tolerant we are. Let me tell you something, Lee. Here's the truth. There's certain things in this world you should not be tolerant of. Yeah. And again, I bring up the, I bring up the same stripper saying, because you can take the gay issue entirely out of it. The gender issue entirely out of it. Bringing kids to a daytime strip club would be gross and probably illegal, right? 
And what kind of strip club would go, yeah, we're going to have that. That's a good idea. I don't understand how it's not illegal. Where's the prosecutor? This is Dallas, Texas, man. Where's the prosecutors? Well, the Democrats have a lot of control over the city of Dallas, I used to live in Dallas, and have a lot of control. But that that blew up. 202-521-1320. Owl killer, what is on your mind? I'm pretty sure that uh, prosecutor is also a Soros prosecutor, by the way. Um, yeah, but can't the state do something? What's that? Can't the state do something, like take away their liquor license? I mean, can't something be done? You would, you would think that, but th- then, you know, t- Texas is one of those states where they don't like to, st- you know, they, they take jurisdictions very seriously and they give leeway to counties and cities to, unless they're like violating the constitution, you don't really see too much state stepping, whether that's good or bad, that, that just seems to be Texas uh, policy of doing things. Um, they, it's completely demonic. Um, and yes, you, thank you. You see the same thing happening. It's it's in every civilization. You know, it, it starts. I don't care what two adults do. You know, I, I thought making fun of homosexuals was like high school stuff, and you know, most people grew, grew out of it. You know, that that's that's baby stuff. You know, I personally don't care. I've been to gay weddings. It's not my business. I'm also a Christian, so I have an issue when I may have an issue with the, with calling it marriage. I don't have an issue with like a civil union, but remember, that's what everybody. That was the argument when um, it became law, the law of the land. Um, And this is how far it's been pushed. Um, You know, you you see it in every civilization. You know, look, look what happened in Egypt. Look what happened with Greece. Look what happened with the Romans. Once once a civilization is about to fall, you know, it it always goes to um, this is this is not an attack on anybody. But let's just be real. It goes to the homosexuality. It goes to the cross-dressing and transgender stuff. And then it goes to child sacrifice. Every civilization does the same thing right before they fall. And I, I think, um, I, I don't, I, my personal opinion, I think abortion has been our way to cover child sacrifice for some sick, evil people Absolutely. for a long time. You know, it, it, and you know, I again, you know, you, you talk, you just were talking about the Bilderberg meeting and the World Economic Forum, and these groups are open about what they're doing. You know, people have been ignoring what this, this. Um, this drag queen stuff, uh, story hour, and then, you know, bring kids to the, the strip clubs. They've been ignoring where they're saying, we're going to groom your children. Does that, do you remember the San Francisco choir talking about how we're going to, we're grooming your children. We're going to control your children. They're open about what they're doing. It's just that people don't, I, I think the American people are just too entertained to do anything about it because it, it will take time away from, you know, watching your Netflix will take time away from your sports games. I think that's why people have been getting, because these people are serious about it. There, there are people at that, at that club that were saying they were going to become teachers. So this is what they're in. They, they put themselves in, it's just like the communists did. They put themselves in the positions of power where they become, if you ever yes. look that, uh, Yuri Bezmenov, where he said, you know, the half-baked half back intellectuals are now your teachers. They're running your police stations. They're your lawyers, your prosecutors. They're in your, uh, they're in your, uh, your councils, uh, you know, with local government. They take over the institutions of power, and, it, you know, it goes, it's the same thing Soros does. Well, he funds the institutions, and he gets his people in. They, and, you know, it, it, go, it just, you go look at the Boy Scouts or the Catholic Church. It's not that 
priests are pedophiles is that pedophiles want access to kids. And where do you get it? You get it at, at a, something like that. You get it. You, you're going to get access to it as a priest. You're going to get access to it as a Boy Scout leader. You know, it, I think we have ignored the fact that they they did that slow walk, that long walk through the institutions, and they're running the show. And it, it's just it's just the reality that we're going to have to deal with in face. Two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. Aaron, you're on. Go ahead. Hello. Good afternoon, man. Do is is this a complex story? Is this a complex discussion? Uh, what what I'm reminded of? I was reading Alvin Toffler, you know, back in the '80s, right? And Nesbitt, uh, Megatrends, and all that. And and then uh, Greg Palace book, The Armed Madhouse. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that one or not, but. But he basically breaks down the cartels, uh, the, the the power cartels that existed back in the Bush era and around them. And when you sit back and you look at the entire picture, you see how it's expanded out now. Now we've got Soros. And now we've got the you know the Clinton cartel and the rest of it. And and when I look at what's going on. <clears throat> I always look at these things from an economic perspective, and I will point directly at the Federal Reserve, the the reverse repo uh, markets. I look at that chart every day, and I I think I've said on this show before that they're printing uh, $2 trillion a day into the system just to keep the lights on. And what you realize is that we are at the point where what began in 08 with the the Lehman shock and the rest of it has now spread to China. The the entire global economic engine has been an enormous sucking sound for for 10 years. They're they're throwing money at it. Powell is on record as saying, we don't have the slightest idea what the outcome is going to be or the impact. We're just printing money. And, And at the same time, you see all of these cartels making a mad dash to, to grab what they can and run out the door and, and to bring this point to a focus, we all know what's going on in Ukraine. There's, there, there's all of this corruption and, and all of this money moving through there. And it really strikes me that while we are distracted um, and, and, my premise is, is that we have suffered a mass social psychosis before the lockdowns, and now they've just really locked it in with, with the, uh, uh, the mental stress that comes along with it. And while we're all distracted, <clears throat> they're literally engaged in a scorched earth policy to, number one, pull in as much as they can, vertically integrate it to themselves, and, and cover their tracks. Uh, what, what's your opinion on this, Lee? Because I'm, I'm really curious to, to hear what you'd have to say on that. Well, let me take it back to Ukraine, believe it or not. I was thinking about this this weekend. Are you familiar with the Phoenix program, Aaron, in Vietnam? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Okay, so the Phoenix program was a program where the CIA trained Vietnamese in interrogation techniques and other things. And they did it because in Vietnam, they let them deal drugs. It was essentially a huge boon for organized crime. So I'm going to say the CIA has been in Ukraine training, and it's not just military training. It's interrogation training, and it's 
quelling political opposition. And I would say, and this is historically accurate, what they're protecting in Ukraine is not the drug cartels. It's prostitution cartels. Ukrainians have been victims of prostitution and child prostitution for decades, for, for, for about 100 years. In Argentina, at the end of the 19th century, there was a globalist thing set by the Rothschilds, who was a Zionist encampment in Argentina. And anyone can look this up. And they brought Ukrainian women over. And you can find articles on a Jewish woman's website. And they brought them over there as white slaves. And I must say, Ukraine is hiding white slavery and child prostitution. And the CIA, that's the organized crime bit that they're hiding. Does that make sense, Aaron? Absolutely. I, I look at this through the, pro, the, the perspective of what Eisenhower said uh, when he left office, that we had to watch out for these people because they were going to run away and take control of everything. And when you, when you look at all of the moving parts, and I, I have the benefit of having studied this since probably the 70s, <clears throat> and I can see a lot of data moving through this entire thing at the same time. And what you're talking about, I, I, I still remember the, the uh, hang on, the, the ads for Russian wives, Ukrainian wives, right? This, this is all tied together. You can't, you can't extract one and, and not see the rest of the picture. And I, what really struck me about Scott Ritter's discussion was not so much what he said, because he's, he's such a wealth of information, but his mood, because I'm in that same mood. I, I, I sit back and I watch this stuff, and my level of, of frustration just goes right off the end of the scale. And you, you wonder, I, my personal thesis is that this is just going to run wide open until she blows. And then we're going to have to pick up the pieces from all the stuff that's just fallen out of the sky. And hopefully uh, uh, Putin is, is going to have enough common sense to not take the bait, not get pulled into a, a nuclear conflict, which will be the, the, the trigger for who knows what. We're, Lee, we, we're living in, in times that we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. It's 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 stunning to be alive right now. Go ahead. No, I, I agree, and that's why I think both Carmine and I were so bothered by the Proud Boys being charged with sedition. This is very dangerous. Carmine, do you agree that that what they could be hiding in Ukraine is white slavery? And if if you look at porn production in Ukraine, the Ukrainian people. Oh, man. I dare say it. The Ukrainians are very attractive people. They are. Physically. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And Russians so, do. Right. And so if you want to do white slavery, it's a great, again, breeding ground for that. But you, you're starting with the advantage. And what do you think, Carmine? Um, 
anything's possible. I I don't want to jump to that conclusion off the cuff, but uh, anything's possible, man. Anything's possible. That's certainly it's certainly a, a distinct possibility. I mean, I, I as a as a I've done some scientific research on on porn. You know, I've watched a little of it for research purposes, and uh, yeah, I can tell you there there's quite a bustling porn industry in Ukraine. Yes. Well, let's take a short break. When we come back, author, cartoonist, and both of on Ted Ryle is joining us. Let's take a short break. And you've been doing such a great job of saying the name of the show with tremendous mojo. So take it away, Carmine Savior. Well, I think we should, I think we should rename it the Carmine Show. But for the purpose of this argument, this is the backstory. Back in the backstory, and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now, great friend of the show, author, cartoonist, and the proprietor of the website, RAL.com, R-A-L-L.com, where you can find his stuff, including books, cartoons, and custom caricatures, Ted Rawl. How you doing, Ted? I'm okay, Lee. How are you doing? Doing great. So we've been talking uh, a little today about Bilderberg, which is meeting in Washington. But we've been talking for a while about these unelected groups, such as the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum that meets in Davos, Switzerland. And also, I think you could put the WHO the World Health Organization. As someone who's on the left, what's your take? Are you concerned? You've got to be concerned. And the reason I'm going to suggest that is because every one of these groups is bringing together unelected groups of people with a lot of corporate clout. So what is your perspective on these unelected groups that seem to play more and more of a factor in our politics, Ted? Well, uh, to be contrarian about it, obviously, you know, we can't have elections for every important position. Uh, otherwise, you know, that's that's all we'll, we'll do is is, fo- is follow campaigns, which I guess would be good for, you know, us. <laughs> but uh, it would be it would probably just keep the American people busy doing nothing else. But that said, yeah, it's a little bit. And well, I would also say that. Um, there's also sort of a concern about about independence. I, I don't think what Lee is saying is we should have elections for him. I think he's saying they shouldn't have any power because they're not elected. Right. Well, the point is that you have these you do have you do have jobs that like, for example, you really wouldn't want to elect the head of the CDC. You know, what I mean, like that's uh, I'm not sure that that person should be campaigning and should and that their popularity or their uh, charisma should have anything to do with them getting the job. But I take Lee's broader point. You know, we have seriously uh, a lot of very powerful, unaccountable, um, 
non-elected officials who are making hugely important decisions. And the American people not only don't get to have any voice into who they are, but on top of that, they don't even know who they are. So there's not even any way to uh, talk trash about them on Twitter. So it's a, uh, it is definitely a concern. It's always something, and I, it does seem to be getting worse and worse. Uh, surely the bureaucracy could be, uh, you know, s- slimmed down to the point where most important decisions are made by elected officials, unless some kind of independence is really sort of needed. Um, you know, I'm, I'm coming around to the idea that Supreme Court justices probably ought to be elected, for example, as opposed to appointed, which I never used to think and wasn't sort of conventional wisdom. But, you know, there's, it's one of those, it's definitely one of those things that we should always be bearing in mind, that in a democracy, even in a representative democracy, people need to uh, be accountable. And, yeah, but, and Ted, but court justices, you're going you're gonna to have such a slanted Supreme Court at that point, and, and they have to campaign for their job. I think you're getting to a point where then you're making you're making the reason they're not elected to begin with is because you don't want them making decisions based on political expediency. That's why they get a lifetime appointment. So once you, for example, there are times where Sotomayor, Kagan have gone against the liberals. There are times that conservatives go against the conservatives. They won't be able to do that if you elect them. And just last week, there was a a ruling where Kagan was on the side of some of the conservatives. And then you had uh, you had Kavanaugh and Barrett on the side of some of the liberals. And it's a mixed bag. I don't think, you know, everybody thinks they're so political. I don't think the Supreme Court's as political as people believe they are 98 percent of the time. It's the big attention grabbing cases where you say, ah, they're political. But I think when you start saying it should be an elected office, you're creating a recipe for them to absolutely act in the best interest of politics and not the American people. I think there's a, I think that, look, I I think it's not one of those uh, cases where you can, you know, where I would say, look, I'm a hundred percent sure that this is the way we should go. It's just more the direction that I'm leaning now. I think there's a very, your argument is very strong and uh, there's a lot to be said for it. I just don't, you know, I I think that more often than not though, uh, politics are still a big part of the court and, uh, you know, you think about like really glaring examples like Bush v. Gore. Uh, there's a lot of party line votes on the Supreme Court. In terms of the tilt, the tilt is pretty uh, extreme right now. Uh, in the past, it's been extreme the other way. Um, so, I, you know, these problems, I think the problems you bring up kind of can occur either way. And, uh, you know, certainly politically, you know, uh, judges who are more political, I mean, it's just like you just can't keep politics out of politics. I mean, the fact is the law is a poli- is political. Term limits is something different. If there was term limits and you could only serve one term, let's say, on the court and that term was for, let's say, 10 years and you can't get that job again. So the, whatever those 10 years you do, you can't be taken off the bench. You're free to do what you want to do and you don't have to campaign to get that appointment again. So you get one term. It's 10 years. Now, term limits, that's a whole different ballgame, and, and that is something I actually could get behind. I like term limits. I, I have a problem with these very, very old justices dying in office and not being very sharp at the end you know, of their, of their, of their careers. Um, but uh, you know, you can, you're still going to get problems. Let's, let's say you have a, a, you know, a, a justice serves 10 years only, but you know, they're, they're then thinking about what comes next, and their decisions – 
will help determine like whether they get invited to be a legal analyst on cable news or uh, whether they're going to be uh, appointed the dean of a uh, Harvard Law School or whatever. So, you know, there's, it's really hard to find people with the integrity to try to interpret the Constitution uh, as fairly as possible and, uh, you know, without, you know, without, without bringing politics into it because they're human beings and human beings are biased. Well, also, you, you're raising a point that comes up with uh, – it, it could come up with elected Supreme Court justices, but it comes up right now with senators and congressmen. Have you read that Nancy Pelosi made $100 million last year? That's up from 41 <laughs> the, the year before. $100 million. Can you think of any reason a sitting congresswoman is making $100 million? Ted. He's just really picking stocks. Yeah, I want to pick. I want her to pick my stocks. Um, yeah, get. You know, I mean, it's kind of like it's like if she's not corrupt, she ought to be. Um, you know, it, it's it's a, yeah. it's it's just a really, it's a bad look. Um, she's the. I think she's, if I'm not mistaken, she's the wealthiest member of Congress. Right. Last time I looked up, she was worth. I think three hundred million dollars total. Um, so, as you're saying, it's it's going up. I guess uh, she's probably going to take get a take a hit, you know, in the next you know, in the last few months. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's no wonder she, you know she's not very in touch. I mean, you know, she's in a bubble inside a bubble inside a bubble. And I think that if if you're elected to, I don't care whether it's a presidency or a high cabinet position or a senator or a congressman. I, I, as opposed to term limits, I'm not opposed to them, but I'd like to see, they say, when you retire, you're retired. You live on your pension, and they give you a decent pension. But they say, we will ban you from working in any position, corporate position, for the rest of your life. And I think that with the ideal of what politician would be. No one's going to become a millionaire after that, but that's the point. What do you think of that idea, Ted? Uh, you know, I like that idea. I mean, personally, um, I've always hated the revolving door between government and business. I, I don't think, you know, like we're seeing it right now with Jen Psaki. She just went directly from uh, being the uh, White House press secretary to being a paid analyst on MSNBC. Um, you know, that to be anyone, fair, by Gowdy and Fox News, uh, Huckabee, who's a friend of mine, but the other side does it, too. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a conservative. Let's be fair. It's both of them. Oh, it's definitely both of them. And it, it's, uh, you know, you, you, you see it. Uh, and I, I, I just think it's, you know, it's uh, it, it sets the stage for corruption. Um, you know, I think it's like once you take a job like that, uh, you should. Maybe you should be able to per, you, you should be permitted to work in a completely unrelated field. Uh, you know, maybe sure. you can't work in media. But you know, like if Jen Psaki wanted to go, uh, you know, become a, a teacher, you know, I would have no or work for like the public works department. I would have no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, but or a doctor. But you know, like if Rand Paul decides to just go back into uh, you know medical practice, that's fine. Uh, but for me, it's like anything where you could trade on your Rolodex from Washington. No, you shouldn't be able to do. 
and make millions. Yeah, no. And make millions. And you might say, like, well, that would keep the best people out. But I don't think that's true. I think that, you know, it would be a privilege. I mean, I know if I, for some reason, in some weird world, were offered, you know, some kind of important government post like that, and I was and I was told, well, you know, these are the conditions, I would still strongly consider taking it because you know, I'd, I'd, I'd want to serve my country. So I think a lot of people would, would still do it. And I don't think hey, we're necessarily getting the best people now. No, we're not. I'm not convinced as a system we, <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? I'm not sure the system we have is producing winners except for themselves. Go ahead, Ted. That's always the argument though, right? Like see, you know, a corporation that pays a CEO a hundred million dollars a year uh, you know, while he while he's laying off 10,000 workers, we'll say, well, you know, we just can't get good help unless we pay that much. But, you know, that's just, you know, that's just not true. Um, it's uh, it's almost like you pay the they pay the, that person for reasons that have nothing to do with trying to find the best possible person for the job. Now, in general, my argument against tinkering with the Constitution at all is I'm I'm pretty convinced that the current system we have, whatever they come up with, won't be better. The system we have, the Democrats, Republicans, that we have now, and the, the electoral system and the way everything, everything works, I'm not convinced that we'll get a better system. I'm, in fact, I'm convinced it'll be worse in unimaginable ways. What say you, Ted, all? Well, I like your attitude and your pessimism, for real, Lee, because – you know, one of the big problems with Americans as a national temperament is that they think that nothing can, you know, that nothing can get worse. Uh, you know, once you hit rock bottom, you know, you, you, you're you going to, that's it. Everything's bound to get better. And that's plainly not true. The American presidency is living proof of that. You know, it's been all downhill since Thomas Jefferson. And, uh, you know, everyone is worse than the one who came before. It's a study in entropy. And, uh, you know, I think that's exactly uh, so. So, yes, I, it's true that as completely screwed up as the American Constitution is, it's entirely possible that this clique of idiots would come up with something even worse. I mean, this Constitution is obsolete. It can't be a it really cannot be amended in any meaningful way. And, uh, you know, it's not po it's not possible to amend it. Um, you know, it's like and, and you should be able to amend a constitution, uh, you know, pretty readily. I mean, for example, you know, I don't think there'd be a second amendment if we were, if we were uh, convening a constitutional convention now. Most countries don't have anything like that. We wouldn't have it. It's a relic. Uh, you know, every country has an equal rights amendment except us. Uh, you know, that's, that should have been. I would posit to you that it's super important, though, to have said second amendment. Well, you could argue that, right? But the point is, I, I think that, like, if you were just looking at the politics of the country the way it is now, if there were a constitutional convention now. That's an example. I'm pro-Second Amendment, but I think we, you and I would be in the minority there. I think most people would, would vote against it. Um, so, um, you know, there's just things like that. Our system is, is uh, it's very ossified. Like, for example, you know, we can't, we can't add any new states. We used to do that all the time. Uh, Puerto Rico really should be a state. You know, um, there's a there's a strong, strong argument for it, um, you know, but the, just, that's just never going to happen again. We're stuck at 50, you know, round number. We just we're, we're hesitant to go to 51. But but that's stupid. And I'm going to agree with you on Puerto Rico. I will 
I don't know how you feel about DC, but I think DC absolutely should not be a state. Yeah, I don't. I think that's. I understand why DC is not a state. Um, it, it's a problem for the people who live there and and you know don't have full representation. Uh, but it's not a big problem, and I totally understand the the counter argument. But there's no. I think there's like DC is debatable. I, I don't think Puerto Rico is very debatable. I, I agree. Well, I agree. Well, I'll tell you a, a wacky idea I've had, and I really mean is having lived in, around DC for a couple, few years. I convinced this. I think also when you get elect, I I think if you could keep DC being what it is the center of government, and you say, when you get elected to D.C., you're going to live in a dorm. All congressmen, you won't live in a nice apartment or a nice house in Arlington or Alexandria or in Silver Springs. You live in a dorm with all the other senators. Yeah. And that that way, you they have a place to live, and you make it fine. But make D.C., the center of government, don't make it a place for citizens. Make it a place that's yeah. focused on the business of government. And yeah. Ted, what do you think of that wackiness? Well, you know, it sort of, it doesn't go quite as far as something that I have long promoted, which is that uh, the members of Congress and the Senate should be uh, receive compensation that is equal to the lowest compensation of any American citizen who works full time. Uh, so, you know, if if the lowest paid worker gets $7.25 an hour for 40 hours a week and uh, no paid vacation and no paid vacation and no health care, then that's what Congress should get. I bet uh, we would see national a, a far more a far improved national health care system similar to what we had in Europe. I bet we would see a higher minimum wage, just like that. I'm sure we would see a European-style vacation um, plan that suddenly magically got instituted for the country. They shouldn't be living large. Um, those people should be living the way the worst among us are living so that they feel it, so that they understand the problem. Okay, I'll keep going on this wacky tangent we're on here but because I've got more, and I've even got a name for it. When you take the oath of office to any Congress position, presidential cabinet, whatever, they attach a body cam to you that is not turned off, a 24-7 body cam that's streaming to the Internet. So at any point, you can see what Jerry Nadler is saying. And they've figured it out so they can go potty and take showers. And if you get a name for it, the public eye. Think about that. So you say, as soon as you're elected and take the oath of offices, you're in the public eye. What say you, Ted? Lee, if there's, I've suffered enough in my life, and I don't know if I want to see Gerald Nadler taking a shower. Um, uh, but, uh, and I, I, think, uh, I think that is a bipartisan position. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, what I do think is that there, it should not, there should not be any private or uh, non-public or non-streamed meetings uh, in, on Capitol Hill uh, unless they involve national security. Uh, you know, if a congressman's having a meeting in his or her office, uh, that should be live streamed. 
um, if a, you know, even if it's with a constituent or it's, you know, Nancy Pelosi pops into Nadler's office to talk about something. After all, these are public officials. They're discussing the people's business. They shouldn't have closed door committee hearings unless it involves classified information. Anything that's non-classified is by definition the people's business. No, see, I agree with that completely. And I was thinking about that, but realizing what they'll do is they'll just do their business at the Four Seasons in the morning or on a street corner, surreptitiously. So that's why I say you have to have body cams on 24-7 and just tell Jerry Nadler not to look down. You can forbid that. And you'll know at least if he's spending two hours in the shower and you wonder what he's up to. But so so I think we're in agreement here, Chad. Yeah, no, I think it's about accountability. I mean, it might sound like out, an outlandish idea, but these guys, you know, I mean, like if they get caught having a private meeting at the Four Seasons, they should be impeached. Um, it's that should just not be permitted. Like, you know, they can go out for a private meeting, you know, with their family or whatever, but not with anything involving government business. No, no, no meetings with lobbyists. No, uh, you know, no Democratic or Republican Party caucus meetings, no campaign meetings. They are public employees. They serve us. They're on our clock. I mean, in the same way that everybody who's listening who's ever had a job has been accountable to their boss, members of Congress should be accountable to their boss. And that's us. And Carmine, what say you? Uh, I sit here kind of shocked that. I'm sitting here agreeing with every word a liberal saying. So, <laughs> um, well, it, but it goes back. I will defend Ted. Goes, Ted's no liberal, right, Ted? That's true. I'm a You're leftist. I'm a leftist. Yeah, I, I think most liberals would disagree with me. Um, they're big fans of the security state and special prerogatives for privileged, uh, powerful people. What happened to the liberals that? Liberals used to fight for things like free speech and stay out of wars, and now they're like, yes, yay, the establishment. It's so weird. If there was ever a party switch, it switched on on the issues of free speech and government control big time because uh, it used to be the Republicans and the conservative movement that were like, more government control, and now we're like, get out of our lives, and the Democrats and the liberals are like, more government control, and we're like, what happened? Yeah, we're, we're in the middle of a realignment that feels a lot like the opposite of the 1928 to 1932 realignment, where the Republicans and Democrats kind of switched places. It does feel like that's happening again. And uh, it's you yes. know, just like happened in 1928. Um, you know, that's, there's a lot of reasons for it, I think, and some of which, you know, I, I don't know what they are. Uh, but it, you can definitely observe that it is happening. It's, it's weird as hell. But yeah, there's no denying it. And Carmine, what I'm not saying on the right is I'm not saying someone on the right who's explicitly taking on the care of the workers, who's explicitly, they're doing it implicitly, but they're not, for right. instance, you know what I'm saying? Ted, what yeah. would you do? Now, I know this is bizarre, but you're a creative person, Ted. If you were advising the Republicans how to appeal to leftists, what would you tell them to do? I think probably the one thing that is the top thing, not one thing, the top thing that is a turnoff to uh, the real left, like progressives, who might be amenable to voting Republicans, is sort of 
the, the race baiting, that kind of stuff that you'll see come out of the of the GOP. If you could really convince progressives that you know misogyny and like race baiting is all kind of like in the past, uh, that the you know that it's no longer a party of just rich white you know you know lobbyist fed dudes, um, and it was uh, a party that was truly inclusive and that oh I'll tell you and that. This is tied to it. Uh, if, the, if they had a poverty plan, if the GOP could come up with something that said, you know, we recognize that capitalism fails some people and, and we don't want to encourage laziness. But, you know, if you fall down, you know, like you're sleeping on the street, you're a drug addict, you're, you know, you, you lost your job, whatever. We have an actual plan, an actual government plan that will help you help yourself pick yourself up, not just like, hey, the magic of the marketplace, you know, hey, hope, you know, just work harder, you know, you be you, uh, sort of laissez-faire. I think those two things would would put a major dent uh, in that project if the GOP wanted to do that. I think they, they would need to seem like they cared about the poor uh, and that they uh, and that they weren't racists. We're not racists. I, I I so hate this characterization that this idea that we we are racist. I, well, there, I are race, mean, I, there are racists look, in your midst, though, right? I mean, like more overtly than among Democrats. I mean, you know, there's and I don't mean and I don't mean Charlottesville. I mean, like for example, Reagan, uh, you know, inaugurating his campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Uh, you know, which was a, you know, uh, which was where the Freedom Riders were killed in the 60s. It was kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the Southern racists. It's like, I'm one of yours. That kind of, you know, a lot of the stuff that Trump said, um, you know, that kind of stuff, it's bad. It's not, look, I know lots, my best friend is a Republican. Um, I, I am, I, I know Republicans are not, conservatives are not all racists, but but there's kind of like in the, you think in the same way that Repu- but but let me just finish. Republicans often turn up like they sort of when they have their comrades say something racist, they sort of just shut up and, and keep their heads down, don't say anything. In the same way that like when you know Democrats, you know they they circle the wagons as well. Um, it, so I'm just saying it, that I think that's a that's a. I'm not saying the Republican Party is a racist party. I'm saying that they they they're racist tolerant in the same way that not. All Ukrainians are Nazis, but they are Nazi tolerant. I think Democrats, I remember 2007, and I was a Democrat in 2007, but I remember people were going door to door in Pennsylvania, and they were, they were going door to door for Obama, and they're saying, we'd like you to vote for Obama. And Democrats, or working class Democrats, were basically saying, I'm not going to vote for the N-word. And they were saying the N-word. And Richard Troka, wow. the head of the union, and you can look this up, the head of the union came out and said, you don't have to support Obama, but the reason not to support him is not because of his race. And Trumpka had to say that to his union members. And but that I, told me, guys- yeah, go, go ahead, Carmen. Well, do you guys think for one second that Joe Biden spent any part of his life hanging out with black guys in his house? <laughs> well, we already know about Ray, about Biden's racist uh, 
background, right? When he was uh, opposed to court-ordered busing, and it was a total dog whistle to the racists in Delaware when he was starting his political career. And he's had to walk that back many times, uh, but it's gonna, you know, he'll go to his grave with that millstone around his, his neck. Without getting into the debate, because we're gonna solve it now, but your general point is taken. And what do you think of the job Trump did of at, le at least trying to get more black votes? Up until Trump, Republicans just wrote off the black vote completely. Right. And they didn't do anything and try to appeal them. Uh, uh, by, by them, I mean, you know, black voters. I think Trump, you know, Trump, look, Trump threw a lot of stuff at the wall and some of it stuck and started to stick. In this case, I would say started to stick. Parenthetically, one argument that he didn't make and that like mainstream Republicans make that I think falls completely on deaf ears because it's so stupid is that crime is high in cities that are led by Democrats. It's like, no, crime is high in cities and cities are led by Democrats. You know, there's no, there's correlation. There's no causation. Everyone knows that. And it's like, I'm not, you know, defending like a crappy mayor like Eric Adams here in New York. But there's I'm just saying that, like, it, they don't have anything to do with each other, really. Talking about defunding the police was a de purely Democrat was not no Republicans were talking about defunding the police. Do you think things like defund the police raise crime rates? Um, perhaps because. But here's what happened. Defund the police pissed off the cops. The cops basically have been going on strike, blue flu, sitting on their hands. They're not out there and they're pissed and they're angry. And so crime's gone up. I think so. In a way, I blame the cops. And Ted Rawl, great. We're out of time, but great discussion. Ted Rawl, great appearance by Scott Ritter earlier, and great co-hosting by Carmine Sabia.